bit of a backtrack, but I'm going to be looking at the first sign that we see in the book of John, uh, which is often referred to as Jesus' first miracle, and I'm sure uh, we've all heard of it um, when Jesus turns water into wine, okay? Uh, but before we read the scripture, I want to just give us a bit of context. Um, set the scene, um, for want of a better phrase. So Jesus has been in Jerusalem, uh, he'd been baptised in water and in the Holy Spirit and had begun to gather his disciples. Uh, prior to chapter 2, we are introduced to five of Jesus' disciples. So we see him being John, Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip and Nathaniel. And then Jesus decides to go to Galilee. And John 1 verse 43 simply says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Now he woke up that morning and was like, hmm. Let's go to Galilee. The start of chapter 2 tells us that a wedding was taking place. Okay? Jesus' mother Mary was there, which implies to us that it is a friend of the family, or maybe a family, even a family member's wedding. Um, Mary certainly has the ear of the servants, okay, which we see as we kind of read, read this scripture. She holds some kind of authority in that wedding. And Eastern weddings um, are extremely, extremely elaborate, okay? At the very least, they last three days, and they can go on for a week, if not more, with different types of celebrations going on. Ensuring, like any good wedding, you know, uh, ensuring that your guests are well-fed, there's enough uh, wine coming, is a sign of a good wedding. But it was a little bit more important in this culture, okay? Running out of wine at this wedding would have brought great shame on the bride and the groom and their families. And that shame would have lingered long into the village culture. Um, so it was all, almost as though you run out of wine at your wedding, then, oh, you've not got a blessing of God. You know, you must be, there's that sense of outcastness, if that's even the word, with regards uh, to that new couple. And Mary, in this instance, we see her kind of feel like, oh, wine's going to run out, wine's going to run out. How did that happen? I'm not going to have them speaking badly about, about this family, about this couple. We've we got to do something about this. And she does do something about it. So let's turn in our Bibles to John 2, verses 1 to 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had always been invited to the, to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, There are no more wine. Woman, why do you mold me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, but the servants who had, been drawn, who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. 
that you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here at Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Now verse one of chapter two starts off with, on the third day. Ooh, that sounds familiar. You know, there is a distinct feeling here that John is emphasizing how Jesus is foreshadowing something that's to come. Hosea 6.2 hits at the importance of the third day when it says this. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up and we may live before him. You know, here we see Hosea prophetically, really, emphasizing how the third day is a day in which Israel will be spiritually healed and returned to God. As Old Testament. Oh, where have I seen something like this happen before? Obviously for us, we know the third day represents the resurrection life of Jesus. It's the day that he defeated all sin and darkness. And we know that all the way through the Bible, in the Old and the New Testament, there are pieces of gold that slowly but surely come together and weaves a beautiful thread of light all the way to Jesus. And we see it here, right at the beginning of John. The first hint in this account of the significance of this miracle of changing water into wine. It was a miracle of transformation, of bringing life out of death. And we are given here a hint of what this miracle symbolizes. And it's massive. It's a massive foreshadowing of what's going to come through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And because of his grace, we live in that today. You know, even the fact that Jesus and his disciples are invited to this wedding tells us something so important about him. You know, if we think about this kind of story, Jesus may have known about this wedding. If it was a family friend, if it was a family, you know, a family member, he might have known about it. But the five disciples that he gathered on his way certainly weren't expected at this wedding. <coughs> it could have been that the bride and groom, hearing of their arrival, invite Jesus and the five strangers um, to their wedding. The theologian Charles Spurgeon stated, Jesus comes to a marriage and gives his blessing there, that we may know that our family life is under his care. The fact that Jesus took time out to go to this wedding shows us so much about the man. He knew. He knew where he'd been born. He knew where his father had sent him. He had constant communication with the father. He could have turned to his disciples and said, Oh, boy, it's too much work to be done. I, I, I've got a mission. I've got a mission to fulfill for crying out loud. I can't go to a wedding. But he recognises the importance of his presence. The importance of people wanting to sit next to him, wanting to talk to him, wanting to just be with him. He wasn't super spiritual. You know, he met people where they were at. He met them uh, at weddings, at parties, at celebrations. He met them when their lives were a mess. But he 
back then? You know, it begs to kind of the question, if Jesus hadn't been invited to the West this wedding, then turning water into wine in this instance wouldn't have been his first miracle, his first sign. That would have happened somewhere, somewhere else. It might have been something totally different. So the invitation of Jesus to this wedding says something about what happens when we invite Jesus into the events of our life. If we want to experience the transformative resurrection power of Jesus in our lives, then all we have to do is invite him. Perhaps there are circumstances in our lives right now where we're longing for God to bring his resurrection life to. Perhaps we are experiencing a breakdown in relationship between husband and wife, maybe parent and child. Perhaps it's these reoccurring sicknesses. You know, nothing massive, but it's like, oh, it's this issue again, it's this issue, and it's getting you down. Perhaps it's just an overwhelming feeling of loneliness and lack of purpose that you may be experiencing. Simply invite him in. You know, invite him in and allow his transformative resurrection power to bring life into those situations that currently feel dead. You know, I love Mary's response to everything that goes on in this portion of scripture. And I just want to think, think, like, think of things from her perspective um, for a little moment. So around 30 years ago, um, to where we are now in this story, obviously not now, um, before she was married, an angel came to her and told her that God was going to use her. She was going to have a baby. God's son and that he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Yeah. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Amen. And that was Luke 1, 32 to 35. Mary knew Jesus' purpose. She knew because she'd been told right at the very beginning that this man was going to change the world as we knew it. She knew, and she held that. Imagine holding that for 30 years. That's huge. So she knew his purpose, and like any other mother, was probably trying to do everything and anything in her power to ensure that he, uh, he became all that he was meant to be. You know, you think about how we are in the natural with our own children as mothers, as fathers. You know, we want to see them become everything. You see the potential in them. But God had told her, God had said, this is who he is. This is what he's going to do. And she carried that for 30 years before she started seeing proper glimpses. There were glimpses, obviously, prior to, to then. Okay, but where he started to step into his ministry. And undoubtedly, she'd been told the accounts of what had happened in Judea, how Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist, how the heavens had opened and a dove lighted on Jesus' head, and a voice uttered those remarkable words, this is my beloved son. That's Matthew 3.17. She remembered the promises when he was born. He would be the Messiah. And undoubtedly, she expected him to, to act especially now as Jesus has started to take the initiative and have called his own disciples. 
and she had a right to expect that he was beginning to fulfill his destiny. So when the wine runs out or begins to run out, she goes to him and says, they've got no more wine. Remember the cultural significance of this. His response is, woman, why do you bother me? So if the request was to turn around to me and say, woman, what are you doing? I'm fully aware that you all would be the same. There would be some kind of consequences to that, wouldn't there? But we need to understand the context of the word here, okay? Jesus was actually using a common title of respect, okay? Um, and uh, we see him actually address Mary from the cross in the same way. Um, in John 19, verse 26, it says, Woman, behold your son. And for the sake of us and the English language, using the word lady is probably, it would, would, would help us more in understanding the actual um, respect that he was beholding his mum, his mother at that time. So lady, you know, he basically turned around to her and said, oh, mother, you, you don't understand. You're not, you're, I'm not ready, okay? It's not quite the time. So perhaps in Mary's mind, she imagined Jesus turning water into wine, performing this amazing miracle at this wedding. People would see him, they'd fall on his knees and be like, who is the Messiah? And already in there, there'd be like loads of thousands of people bowing down in worship in that moment. But Mary didn't know the fullness of God's plan. In this moment, she was simply thinking in the now. That, um, you know, that very moment where it's God and Jesus were planning for something bigger. Something that would last for eternity. But Jesus in his grace and humility, you know, he just says to her, oh, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And perhaps this is something that we do in our lives. We fail to see the bigger picture. We fail to see how God has orchestrated something bigger in our lives. Maybe we live with our heads down, focusing on the now, keeping ourselves busy, doing the day-to-day -day things. But then something happens. And we lift our heads just for a moment. And we see a glimpse of something. A reminder of something God once spoke over our lives. I said, you're going to be a person of influence in your workplace. Oh, remember what I said about your family? They're all going to be saved and they're all going to be living for me wholeheartedly. Remember what I said about you hearing my word and delivering it clearly. I'm going to hear those reminders. Even now, God. God's talking things, reminding us of things. We start to get excited. And we take that word back to God because we remember that scripture in Isaiah 55, 11, where it says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What happens? Oh, oh, our faith begins to build. And, and something starts to happen, and you're kind of like, oh, oh. But nothing seems to happen. And instead of hearing Jesus' response, my hour has not yet come. We become disheartened. And our heads go back down. 
and we forget the promises that God has made us. But he doesn't. He doesn't. And in Proverbs 16, it tells us, doesn't it, in verse 11, in their hearts, human plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Amen. The word establish in biblical terms means to set up, to fix, to make firm, make stable, make permanent, make valid. When God establishes something, he ordains it. He makes it sure, solid, um, and he makes it enduring. To establish something in our lives takes time. And this is what Jesus understands in this moment. It won't take one miracle to get people's attention. It will take a number of miracles and signs that point to him, establishing him as king of kings, as the Messiah. And God's big picture planning and timing is beautiful. Yeah. And I think some of us here this morning need to understand that. That there's things that we're longing for in our hearts, maybe things that we've seen, even words that God has given us. And you keep saying, but God, but God, but God, when will this happen? When will this happen? When am I going to do this? You said this to me. You said that to me. And God is saying, my big picture planning, I'm sorry, planning and timing is beautiful. There is nothing wrong in wrestling with God over a word. There is nothing wrong in taking that prophetic word or you read something in your Bible and you're claiming it in your heart. There is nothing wrong with going to God and saying, but God, what about this? As long as we're not getting frustrated with God. But there's that sense of just believing his word, believing his purpose for our lives and being proactive with what he's given us. Mary could have been offended by Jesus' response to her, but she wasn't. You know, she knew he wanted to do something, okay? She didn't understand the whys and the hows and all that, but she knew he was going to do something. Just not in the way she thought. And sometimes that can be true for us too. You know, God can tell us something like, not yet. Wait. You're not ready. Sometimes we don't like that. And we do it anyway. And we do it out of the blessing of God. Out of the timing of God. And it doesn't have the impact then that God wants it to. But let's be more like Mary. Let's position ourselves to be ready for the miracles, no matter if they look different to our expectations. I'm just going to say that again. Let's be more like Mary. And position ourselves to be ready for the miracles no matter if they look different to our expectations those miracles will come those signs the wonders will come those words that you thought oh god you don't they will come they will come mary's response to jesus is to turn to the servants and say do whatever he tells you and then she walks away she needs them to it so that's her that's her dad that's her part in this story and some of us can find ourselves stuck in situations and circumstances. Maybe we've plateaued in our relationship with God. Maybe it feels mundane, the same old, same old. Or maybe the reason for this is because we're not doing what he tells us to. 
We have to be proactive about the word of God. He doesn't tell us things for us to sit back and allow him to sovereignly allow everything to fall in our laps. It's not how he works. If he wanted to work like that, then this world would be a much better place already and he wouldn't need us at all. But that's not how he chose to operate as a king, as Lord. If God has called you to be an intercessor, you better start intercessing. Start praying to. If God has spoken to you about being an influencing government, you better get involved in local government. Get out there. If he's stirred your heart to help the elderly in your local community, get out there and start volunteering. Now, I heard recently um, someone talk about their 15-year-old daughter, and she'd been given this word um, about taking the gospel to the nations, okay, and in a kind of uh, missionary capacity. And as a family, they've been really stewarding this word together for quite a few years. And she was, you know, as a 15-year-old, was becoming slightly disheartened that there wasn't really anything more she could do to prepare, okay? And they were talking to their church leader about it, who happened to be a prophet as well, and he asked her if she had a passport. And she didn't. And he asked her how she could go to the nations if she didn't have a passport. We need to position ourselves in such a way that when God says now, we don't have to wait six weeks for a passport, we go, we are ready to obey and we respond. So we have to be in that position, like Mary, do this, when he tells you to, servant, listen to it, and off she goes. The servants were ready. We have to do something with what God has given us. Zechariah 4.10 says, who dares despise the day of small things? And Luke 16 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. I love how Jesus chooses to use the servants in this miracle. He doesn't make a big deal about himself, about what he's going to do. He doesn't draw any attention whatsoever to himself. But Jesus began this miracle by using what was at hand. And in verse 6 to 7 it says, Now they were set there, they were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now, Jesus could have supplied more wine in any number of ways, any number of ways, but he started with what's there. And yet again, massive insight into who he is. He starts with what's there. Some of us are feeling, I have got enough, I'm not enough, I'm not. He starts with what's there. And that's what makes a miracle even more beautiful, doesn't it? So the servants under the direction of Jesus were in a really unique uh, place of blessing, this miracle. Jesus wanted the cooperation of men in this miracle. He could have filled the pots himself, or just as easily created the liquid in the pots. But he knew that if the servants shared the work, they also shared the blessing. Okay? So if we share the work with God, we share the blessing. It's important to establish that the servants obviously didn't do the miracle. Um, Their efforts alone were completely inefficient. 
that's because of their obedience to Jesus, they shared in the joy of the miracle. They were blessed because they obeyed without question. When Jesus said, go fill up those, those uh, jars, they were like, why? Water. We need wine, not water. They didn't do it. They just did it. They did it. I'm not sure I would have done that because that would have been a lot of work. They were huge things. They were blessed because they obeyed without question and to the fullest. It says in the scripture, they filled them up to the brim. This means that the miracle would have been fulfilled in the greatest measure possible. If they were lazy and only filled them halfway up, you know, the water pots would have been half full. They would have wanted to be half as much wine. And the reason that they needed to be filled to the brim with absolutely no room to add any more was because Jesus wasn't going to add something to the water. He was going to transform it. And this is a pattern for our faith and obedience. Again, Charles Spurgeon said, when you are begin to believe in him, believe in him up to the brim. When you are told to love him, love him up to the brim. When you are commanded to serve him, serve him up to the brim. And in verse 8, it says, Then he, Jesus, told them, Now draw some out take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice of wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Imagine you were one of the servants in this scenario. Maybe you've heard some rumours about Jesus, or this guy, now I don't really know him, but you've been told to obey him. You know, we're not told exactly how Jesus performed this miracle. We assume that the transformation took place in the water pots, but maybe it took place as it was poured. We don't know. So what Jesus tells the servants to pour the glass and give it to the master of the banquet, pretty sure those servants would have been just a little bit nervous. Thinking in their heads, I'm giving the master of the banquet a glass of water. Oh my goodness, I'm going to be out of a job. Goodness knows what else is going to happen to me. But they obeyed him. They listened and they obeyed Jesus, this man that they didn't really know. And again, you know, it demonstrates their faith in him. Again, an example to us that even when God doesn't give the full picture, when he asks us to do something, do we unquestionably and wholeheartedly put our faith in him? Even though we might have a million questions and we might be feeling, oh my goodness, God, I don't know what's going to happen if I won't tell my boss that. I can't go and say that to my boss. I can't go and say that to such and such a person. What could happen to me? God tells us to do something. The only thing that could happen to us is the blessing of God. Imagine how angry the master of the banquet would have been if they brought water for him to taste. Yet in faith, they obeyed the word of Jesus. And will we be like those servants? Will we obey the word of Jesus? And those servants who draw the water, they knew. 
They knew where that water, that, that wine had come from. They knew that Jesus had turned water into wine. And not a cheap, rubbishy, tasting, you know, bargain from the bargain barrel type of wine. It was the best wine. It was better than anything else. The faithful servants who did their work to the full knew the greatness of the miracle. The master of the feast only knew it was good wine. It was amazing. Why? He didn't know it was a miracle. This knowledge is a special blessing to the servants and the disciples, obviously, um, saw what was going on. And again, there's an important principle here for us in our lives. God uses those who willingly serve and obey him. Those people who are willing to get up a little bit earlier on a Sunday to put chairs out and get our cafe ready. Those who are willing to take up time to bless and serve the local community. Yes. Helping out with different things that are going on in church life and outside of church life. God is looking for people who will lay their lives down to serve him and obey him. And it will be from this place that we will see signs and wonders. And those signs and wonders will point people to him. Amen. To remember, he saved the best until now. And there's a principle behind these words. The principle that for the people of God, the best is always yet to come. My last Spurgeon quote. I can conceive you, brethren, in the very last moment of your life, or rather, in the first moment of your life, saying, he has kept the best wine until now. When you begin to see him face to face, when you enter the closest fellowship with nothing to disturb or to distract you, then shall you say, the best wine is kept until now. To finish, I want to end by reading something that I came across. It's not Spurgeon. <laughs> I know I've given a few spurgeons today. Um, I couldn't find the name of the author on this one, so I apologise. Um, but this is what um, it said. The fact that Jesus turns the water to wine shows that he is like the Father, not only in love, but also in his power over the creation. Attentive readers of John would not be surprised that the Word who made all things, now made flesh himself, is able to bring material blessing to his people. To deny that Jesus can work miracles would be to deny that Christ was with God in the beginning. What is most surprising, perhaps, <coughs> is that this apparently unplanned miracle ends up pointing unmistakably to Jesus' ultimate purpose. He has come to draw people to God's consummate wedding feast, where they will joyfully dine with him yes. together. Yes. Jesus' mighty works done with the stuff to present world order are amazing blessings in the here and now. And they also point to still greater blessings in the world to come. Mm -hmm. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Mm we want to thank you for your transformative resurrection power Amen. for god it didn't just raise you from the dead but that resides in us through your holy spirit this morning 
We want to thank you for the signs and the miracles that we see in your word. But God, I want to thank you that the best is yet to come. And that God, you say to us that we can see those signs. We can see those miracles. That God, we will see miracles of healing. We will see miracles of restoration. We will see miracles of salvation. But God, I just pray right now that if there's been any areas that you've highlighted through this morning, maybe your words from the past that have been brought to the forefront this morning, we just say, God, we want to steward your word well. We want to steward your now word well. So God, you just pray that there will be a beginning of faith rising in our hearts, a reminder of the things you've told us, of who we are, who we're meant to be, who we are becoming. But God, we just say this morning, we invite you in. We invite you in, Holy Spirit. We say that we love you, that we are ready for you to take hold of our lives. We are ready to see the signs and the miracles. We are ready to see the salvation. We are ready to see people added to your kingdom, Father God. And God, we say to you this morning that we are ready. We are ready. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.